Welcome to Walking After Food, the album-by-album discussion podcast of all things Foo Fighters. I am your host, or one of your hosts, Andrew Williamson, alongside Peter Kanigsberg. Hello there. We are up to episode four. Can you believe this? I cannot. Four albums in. We are four albums in as we go episode by episode leading up to Medicine at Midnight, coming out February 5th. Fifth, four of ten, also the first of the new millennium. That's right. We are in 2002. We are in 2002. And the first one with Chris Shefflett. Yep. Chris Shefflett studio debut. Studio debut of Chris Shefflett on guitar. And the first of the main core quartet. No, At this point, nobody else leaves the band. They've now sl- kind of hardened down on... These four, and from here on in, they just start adding people. The album we are discussing is Foo Fighters One by One, as Andrew mentioned, released in 2002, recorded in Studio 606, just like the prior album that we discussed on Episode 3. This album, um, there's a lot to talk about with this one, maybe even a little bit more so than several others, but Andrew, why don't you give a quick overview of what uh, this album's about? Sure. Uh, So this is one of the hard, at this point, this is probably the hardest record that they've done, or at least to start, it's one of the harder records uh, that they had done. Coming off of the tour from There's Nothing Left to Lose, uh, they go back into the studio to record the next album. The sessions from that, which have been dubbed at this point the Million Dollar Demos, because they spent a million dollars making, trying to make a record that didn't sound very good, they were all frustrated. Dave took a break from the band to drum for Queens of the Stone Age for their uh, amazing album, uh, Songs, of, Songs for the Deaf, which is one of my favorite records. But he, he leaves to go do that. They go, he goes and tours with them. They come back together. They work out some, some of the drama that was happening with him and Taylor Hawkins. And in two weeks, they go back to 606, uh, and record this time instead of with Adam Casper, who had done some of the work for There's Nothing Left to Lose, and a couple of songs here for the he had done the the set of demos. Uh, worked with Nick Raskolenskis. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he would also produce the next record as well. What's also interesting to note about this album is that it was a Grammy Award winner. I always like keeping track of the awards for the Foo Fighters in 2000. This is two for them, right? This is number two win for them. This is they won for uh, best hard rock performance of all my life and best rock album one by one. As you mentioned, there was a lot of internal strife with the band as it was kind of going through growing pains. I guess is the best way to describe it. At the time of launch of this album, there was a lot of praise for it. There was a lot of work and effort put into it. But over time, and as you'll hear us discuss, this album sorts starts to fall down the discography ranking a little bit and we'll get into why but this may be and we're setting it up in the beginning to set expectations one of the less favorite Foo Fighters albums we discuss yeah this is definitely the first three are as we talked about very very incredible they have a very unique sound and this one also is unique compared to it but this is where you start to have a what most people think of as a Foo Fighters sound of a, of a Foo Fighters record. And this is like the first one where I listening back, uh, I would make changes. 
I, I have, I, I think that there's some, uh, I don't know if it was just, okay, we've put in all this work. Now we just have to like, let's go put it out. And there wasn't a ton of thought towards the actual thing. Let's just go put it out, go on tour. But yeah, this is definitely the first one where I don't declare it a masterpiece. It's still great songs. I still love it, but it's not the, mo- this is not the, <laughs> this is not the one that I'm like, this is, th- this does not make the, the top of the, of the list for me. It's an 11 track album as standard edition deluxe goes up to 15 with two live bonus tracks as well as a million dollar demos that we will discuss as we go through but let's begin at the very top with what is probably the top if not the one of the top two songs in the record so already kind of setting a high expectation but we'll explain why it can kind of get hurt from there all my life which is heavily played in live shows this is i don't think they haven't played it I think from here, it's always they, gets they put, played from 2002 on. Yes. Wow. I, this is a great song. This is a great song. It feel it has a similar sound to like Breakout. Also, mm-hmm. I feel like a, like as I'm thinking of like a song from before. This is the Monkey Wrench. This is the Breakout of this re- of this record for sure. And start it starts off so heavy too, uh, and uh, they've also mentioned during their documentary, the million dollar demos and the difference between the original. And if you, if you find them, they're online or on YouTube, you can you know, listen to them there. The difference between all my life, the, the demo, the first version, and then the released version is miles. And it's not that the arrangement's any different. It's just energy. The energy that they brought to this new, to this new one, it's just so much better. It's a song that has an iconic drop in it. When Dave gets quiet and then he builds it up and you just get that hit and then he just goes right back into the chorus. It's also one of the first that like is- screams too, isn't it? Yes. Like, it's like it, one of the first like classic it, it, Dave Grohl screams. It goes back to his roots of being in that more screamo, hardcore kind of rock mm-hmm. uh, past of his. And so he's yeah. able to bring that out a little bit. And speaking of... I'm going to take a little sidebar because we'd be remiss not to talk about something happening in the present day of the Foo Fighters that is tangential to the screaming era, the Hanukkah sessions. <laughs> yes, we are recording this. Uh, it's December. Dave Grohl and producer Greg Kirsten, 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 Kirsten uh, are recording and releasing eight songs from uh, Jewish artists. This is day four. We are on Hanukkah. day four. We're on day four of Hanukkah. So uh, he, they've done Beastie Boys. That's, which was, that's the screaming that I was that, yeah. so connecting. The, yeah. The they, dots too. That, Drake, uh, Peaches was the most recent one today. I haven't listened to it yet. But yes, Peaches. They also that just did, came out like an hour ago. But, they also did Mississippi Girl. Uh, Mississippi Queen, yeah. Mississippi Queen, uh, I mean, Mississippi Queen from yeah. Mountain. Uh, but the screaming but, from the Foo Fighters song, you have to listen to it. It's it's Dave Grohl with Greg Kirsten covering Sabotage. And it's hilarious. It's so good. He's doing his best Beastie Boys impersonation while also recovering a you know the a drum breakdown by losing yeah. the stick. So sidebar, but this is about one by one and all my life. And yeah, I think this isn't really about the these sessions. It's yeah. not about the Hanukkah sessions. But next time we talk episode five, the Hanukkah sessions will be complete. Maybe we'll talk a tiny bit about yeah a tiny bit about what what sure. was the second half of it. Yeah. But all my life, we are in agreement that is a standout on the record it is a standout on their live shows it's expected it's welcomed it's what we love song two low this is such an awesome going from all my life and it's heavy and you know it's heavy 
and it's you know from all the other times when they do uh they have like the heavy lead single mm-hmm. they like you know breakout or learn to fly or even monkey wrench go i mean monkey wrench does go into hey johnny park but there's no there isn't like heavy single into heavy single and low is heavy heavy Heavy, this one heavy. really shows off that Taylor Hawkins is a good drummer. This is probably the first time where you get to show off, where Taylor Hawkins gets to show off. Like is this it, album is very much like a yes. Like Taylor Hawkins is a member of the band, and we're gonna show off. We're gonna show off the members of this band. It's interesting. In interviews, Dave has mentioned several times Taylor is the more technically gifted drummer. He is the more kind of all all around presence, you know, from behind that kit. While Dave is a very, very competent drummer in his own right and a celebrated drummer, this is where on this heavy, heavy I mean, like heavy is a perfect word for it because it's like all my life is, it's heavy, but it's also light enough to be entertaining. And it's, and, it, and it's like it's hard. Around. It's it's like uh, it's like your alternative rock. That's your it's, it's low. Is like, this, this is thick. Let's drop it into a, a different dimension of heavy. It's, when they cut, there's so a cool. cut in there. Also, I just want to talk about that guitar riff. Yeah, talk about that. It's just so awesome. And that's like very metal. It feels mm-hmm. super metal. And Chris Shefflett, who is a punk guy, he's also a country guy. Um, nowadays, you probably will hear any of his solo stuff is country but this really shows off that like punk rock hard rock like riffiness it's so good and then it goes into track three we're still in that part of the album where we think this is the meat of it have it all at track three this is a one two three punch yeah have it all is another one that's like a great this is probably like slight maybe slightly under like a all like it's probably a slightly under a breakout or like a monkey wrench. I, I can't think of an example that's like it's half at all. This is one I would love to hear live. This song's so good. Like it's also like I, I like the vocal treatment to it. I don't know if that's that's something that you we you start to see less of as we go through is these double tracks. You'll you'll hear it in this album and you'll really stop after this of those double tracked uh, kind of croony vo- vocals that he does like a staple of of what he does yeah yeah that, like that stops being a thing it's right. really like a an early Foo fighters thing right but it's also like those the lyrics to it are not they are not safe for work. <laughs> yeah let, let's just say this if you're listening to this while you're listening while you're at work don't turn this song on necessarily just uh, understand what we're saying about it don't don't sing it out loud don't sing it it? don't sing it out loud don't do that there's no there's no swear word it's just not it's just the suggestive nature if you read through the lyrics you'll understand we are a pg show here talking about the foo fighters but i want to ask you this we'll listen to have have it all you listen to the million dollar demos it's obvious where the different influences and sounds are coming from and how it gets put together did you not feel like there was a bit of an 8-bit intro on have it all in the studio version yeah I love the, the that riff. Yeah, it's like a synthy riff yes. thing. Yes, it felt very eight bitish. That's not in the. Uh, it's not, not the on demo. the. What I also love about the, it's on both versions, but the version from the album is so much better. The just that drum and where it cuts and there's just all those drum things. Yes, it's like all the drum riff, like yes. the whole just like focus on. 
you know, they're just like loud chord, just let the drummer just like do his thing. This was, right. this, this gives off a feeling of, okay, you're like, I'm a drummer. I want like, like they, they mentioned, you know, they weren't exactly getting along initially. And then like they got back together. This really shows of like a, Hey, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you show off. Like, yeah, I'm Dave Grohl, but like Taylor Hawkins is the drummer of this band. Like go for it. Because at this point, I'd like to think, though I'm not in the era, so I can't say for certain, the rest of the band is starting to get notoriety. This whole project to this point from 95 on has been Dave Grohl's got a new project. Dave Grohl is leading this band. Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl. But Taylor Hawkins is there. Pat Smear is there. Chris Shefflet's there. Like there are, there are other names yeah. and there's a presence, personalities in this band that should be highlighted. And I think At this point, they are starting to become members. They, they are they becoming... They're becoming a band. Cool. Yes. It's not Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. It's the Foo Fighters as a collective. Yes. Collective mind working together. Yeah. Which transitions into our fourth song, which is also uh, used as the title for their 25th anniversary uh, look back. Yeah. Where they call it Times Like Those. This is Times Like These. There are so many things I love about this song. This, uh, it, this is definitely in my top five songs of theirs. It was, I think, the last song I played on the radio when we were, when we were uh, at the WHW together. Yep. This was the last song that I played uh, for my show because I love it so much, the acoustic version, at least. There's so many things I like about this song. One of those interesting things is the, the big riff is in 7-4. And explain what that means for... Uh, so, for those who don't uh, know, so most rock music is in 4-4 four, four time. So, one, two, three, four. But the other riff uh, is in 7-4. That riff. So, if you're listening to it, it which is really weird and it's how you get some of those like those drum riffs or drum fills when you're when you're hearing him play instead of just keeping it going he always ends with a little and that's because it's not in a natural rhythm. So you need to do a little something to cut in there to like, to just to like have it break. Like that way it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel natural as it, or it makes it feel more natural than just like a weird cut. So that's just something I, I really love. As, but as yet it works. it works. It works so well. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like you're just like, he's just like showing all. It just sounds like, you know, Foo Fighters rock, but it, right. it really works in that. And I don't know how Dave wrote uh, a riff in seven four and didn't think like, <laughs> oh, I could I could just add another note in there and make it in make it in like standard time, but he didn't. And that that's something we'll have to ask him when he comes on the show. That's right. Dave, if you're yeah. listening, the the door is always open. The Zoom is always available. Yeah. You are always here to talk to us. Yeah. I want to say this, just this is a great example of something I love about Foo Fighters music, which is some kind of polar opposites. Either the lyrics are have have space and breath in between. You know, there's a lot of moments where there's just echo in the song, and Dave just says, "You got I and a huge echo," and then next lyric, "I'm on my motorway." Exactly. But or flip side, 
you have other songs where the music is got like space and breath in between while he's going on and, and riffing on in lyric. Yeah. It's like he's able to balance that so beautifully. I think this is one of their best songs. As I mentioned, it's one of my favorites, but I think it's one of their best songs because you hear this yes. song. If you were to take this, this is one of their like couple songs along with maybe Everlong, maybe, you know, but like this is a song where you, this could be a country song. If you listen to those, those lyrics, it's easily. Yeah. This song can be covered by multiple genres and still work in every single one yeah. of them. What's fun about this song also is that along with this, along with Low and the next song, uh, which we'll get to in a second, those were not, those were recorded after he came back from doing Queens of the Stone Age. He recorded these, or he came back with these songs like, hey, these are some new songs I wrote. This is about him being away from the band. And, and how he liked, like actually, these. it sounds like these. Like You'll learn gotta, to love again. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Now, if you're asking yourselves, we've just had all my life low, have it all times like these, how much better can this album get? It's not that it gets better, but you, you've set up an expectation. Right. You've set up an expectation. You know, every other record, even the first record, even, even the first record, which is just demos of him just like going out it. There is pacing. There is different sounds and changes. Even that first one does have like a heavy stacked first half. But you have this, but you have heavy stuff as you go through. You get to this point, and you're thinking, "Oh man, this album is so intense. It's so heavy." The next, who who knows what the next thing could be? You can, we have, we're not even like halfway through. You could have a new Everlong on this. You could have a whole live set of this album based on where it's going. Yes, but then you hit but track that is five. Not what happens. I love I love track five. I do I do like Disenchanted Lullaby. I really do. But it's a and it wouldn't even be a problem where it is, but it's where it goes after. But Disenchanted Lullaby is a really great song. This has a very similar feel to the last record, I feel. It has that flow of like, and you, and you did just come off of a high of times like these, and you, and you start to dip a little bit, but the chorus is like kind of not heavy, heavy. It's not, you know, half at all or low, but it still has like a, like a hard rocking chorus i'm a f- and i'm glad you brought it up because that's probably my favorite part of this song is the chorus there is something there's there is a little bit of an earworm to it there is a little bit of something that can get stuck in your head with it but at the same time it's like you're almost waiting for something to happen you're waiting for some moment to manifest and to make this a bigger song than it is yeah. i do also love the vocal intro that like that that ooze right at the beginning is so cool it, it like I, I know it's like it seems like a, it's a weird thing that does come back in a couple of other i think it's something that you see in come back you're gonna see it'll we'll it'll to. come back and come back <laughs> literally which is, we, we, we'll talk about it in detail later but yeah uh that is but i i think this is a really cool song and the chorus does get stuck in your head it does that's how i, I, was, I mean for me, I, for, I forgot that that was the name of this. I forgot that it was Disenchanted Lullaby for a little bit. I thought the name of the sh- song was Shattered. Yeah, right. Or Scattered. I was like, yeah. what is that song? Like Scattered. I'm trying to like find the song. So like, oh, that's Disenchanted Lullaby. I was like, they feel like two separate-ish songs that, got, that came together in a way. And it could very much have been like that. Remember, this album had a lot of internal strife around it. A lot of mixed feelings. Probably a lot of making it. anticipation as well coming off of the last record too, which is 
one that did help break them. I mean, you you go from uh, Dave Grohl demo, Color and the Shape, to There's Nothing Left to Lose, and it's like, where do you go from there? Yeah. You know? And then where we go from Disenchanted Lullaby is to one of, unfortunately, my least favorite songs in the album, to be honest. Tired of You. It's not bad. This is one of the songs that is from that first session. This is the, this is the only song that made it from the first session. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. It's the only song that doesn't have drums, which is interesting. It confused me in its placement. It did. Conf- that's what bothered me, yeah. is that you go from Disenchanted Lullaby, and from here you need something to kind of not go lower, but to maybe bring it up t- maybe a tiny bit. Plateau, just to a little give bit. you a wave. It drops. Yeah. The energy completely comes out of this record. That's And I that's don't have a problem with that. the song. I think that its placement was bad. Something that's fun about this song, actually, is that Brian May did some of the guitars on it. That There's is a very classic Queen sound to those like final chorus guitars, right? And they were actually pretty close, Dave and Brian May. They worked together a lot on guitar and trying to just understand how to really make the most out of that instrument. But you hit the nail on the head. The problem is this song's placement at number six, it could theoretically end side A. And it probably would have ended side A if I put this in a, a LP format because mm-hmm. I wouldn't start this with side B. But it could have been a little bit bigger, you know, because track seven, we're working back. You know what I mean? Like Halo. We're now I think in Halo. Halo is probably the song I like the least on this record. Defend. I, it just doesn't, I don't know. Tired of You is interest. It's different. It gives you some, it gives you a break. It gives you something different to work with. Halo doesn't feel like I would, I'll, I'll, I'm, I would, I'm going to keep it on my, you know, if I, I, I did a rearrangement of this record. Yes. To yes. fully announce. Yeah. I didn't remove it, but it's the song that was most, that was the first one for the chopping block if I was going to remove it. Interesting. Interesting how our two least favorite songs are so closely put together. It's because there's nothing, it's because it just slows down. The record has this just intensity. And then Disenchanted Lullaby brings it down and then Tired of You drops it and you, which is just poor placement. At that point, if you're going to do that, you really need, you need another amazing Everlong Monkey Wrench, My Hero, to yeah. bring it back up, right? Even like my, uh, thinking of The Color and the Shape, the My Hero is seven songs deep, right? Right. I right. think it can hold I mean, your interest or, or my hero is seven songs deep. Yeah, my yeah. Everlong is nine songs deep. Yeah. You like you need, if you're going to have these songs peppered, if you're going to have like songs that you know are not singles, you know, they're not like high energy you need. And you, you have all of these high energy songs like low, you need to put them somewhere. You need to like, you can't just have it all up at once. Right. That being said, I'm going to, Take a, a mild step for a second. <laughs> when I first heard this record, it was in high school. It was the same time I bought all the other records. You know, I, I bought this. Re- I bought this record. I bought In Your Honor. I bought Color in the Shape, the first Foo Fighters record. I used to listen to this record all the time. I used to love it. This was. I always thought this was a super underrated record, which it is partially for a reason. 
because I like a bunch of these songs. But listening back to it now, in the order that they released it, it's just, it, it's weird. I don't know. It, it's like, it's strange. Like, I definitely probably, I have more of a feeling that I probably listened to the first four songs on my CD player and then stopped it and then switched to a different CD. This record would have been saved if you took those four songs and literally separated them evenly across the duration of the album. Yes. I think that would have saved this record from being at the bottom of the discography list. I think, it, I think so too. I, I think so too. Uh, but let's, let's jump let's into, let's continue. Uh, track eight, Lonely As You. Yes. I think it's an awesome song. I'm a fan. This song is so different from the demo though. The demo version of this song <laughs> is weird. Yeah, to me, I build up. I do. I do like this version more. This is one of the things that I actually kind of like this song and come back. The versions from the demos, the arrangement was just kind of the same as everything else. It would sounds like halo. Halo sounds exactly the same. That didn't change at all, right. but it sounds like halo. It sounds like burn away or overdrive. They don't sound like I like that. They decided, well, we have to do something different. We need to like, do something could they're quiet or like just does it can't sound the same as everything else so i i really like this song i thought i like the approach they took with it i kind of lean more towards the demo i think really? the demo has a lot more grit to it personally i mean i think most demos do generally but i think yeah. this one called for more grit and i think that's i felt it more in the million dollar demo interesting okay we'll have to we'll, we're gonna agree to disagree on that one but i mean it's only my take you know i, I mean you know what you know comment you know send us send us your feedback which version exactly. of lonely as you do you like yeah exactly you know yeah. that's that's why we love talking about music because everyone can have a different opinion about it yeah track number nine also featured on the million dollar demo overdrive mm-hmm. i i think this version was pretty similar i like the, i like overdrive i think i think i lean towards the album version more than the demo version for every song mm-hmm. i would say Okay. Uh, but I, I do like this song. I think this song should have been, like, was buried at the back. Like, I think it's silly that this song is number nine. It's like, it's buried within a handful of other songs that were not considered singles. And this song could have been single-ish. I think the thing, once I got to Overdrive, something, a pattern started to emerge. And I started to realize, yes, we're two songs away from the end of the standard listing, but I still listen through to the, bon- the bonus tracks. A mark of a good album, my opinion, is that not everything has to be a single, but anything that is not a single should ha- play a role in leading you to the, ne- to the next song, should, should give you a similar emotion or bring you along a certain story path in order to arrive at that hit song or that song they want you to focus on. And we've already talked about how after track four, it feels like it's falling off. Really the reason why I feel like it's falling off in a lot of ways, I could close my eyes. You could play snippets of each of these songs after post track four, and I may not be able to tell the difference in some cases. And I feel like from Halo through Overdrive is a good example of that in my mind. It's like, I may not be able to tell the difference sometimes between these, these songs. There is definitely a solidifying of what the concept of Foo Fighters is. And that isn't necessarily a good thing. It's, but you're, they're working towards it. And what I do like is that this is, feels, the, the back half of this definitely feels like a test run. What I think could have happened if they had taken a few more days or taken a few more weeks, 
you know, they wrote Disenchanted Lullaby, times like these, and Low, like right after, like those were recorded in those two weeks and written right before then. Right. They had taken a few more weeks to say like, oh, well, let's re-record everything. Let's take a few days. Let's take some time and like write a little bit more. You could have had what most likely happened is the songs from In Your Honor, which we'll talk about in the next episode, mm-hmm. which I think is the the rock, the first half of that album, the, the first disc, the rock disc, is uh, the better version of this album. It achieved what they were trying to do. This, It definitely does feel long. It feels... Like there's a lot of songs that like they didn't have other demos that, and there are there are other B-sides and I think there are other ones that are better, but like there wasn't anything else. They're like, oh, well, this is what we got. So let's just roll with it. We got to put a record out. But if they had, they could have done a, they could have done a shorter record and it would have probably been as successful, more successful. They're, they're very lucky in a sense. Records like this can hurt careers. I mean, you are at a point where you have achieved peak peak uh musical uh reference with color in the shape you follow it up with a very very solid underrated as we discussed underrated contender there's nothing left to lose one by one could easily knock you out of the game easily thank thank goodness for all my life in times like these which carried this record and carried their career but had it not been that way had these two songs not existed on this we don't know if there's a future for this band based on what we're hearing from here so let's move on to that penultimate uh, song off the standard edition of the album burn, burn away, away also on the million dollar demos burn away it's fine <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> this, this is another example if yeah, yeah burn away feels a lot like over i like overdrive more but it feels like overdrive it feels like halo yeah like they are three songs that are interchangeable it's you know what it's I don't want to keep repeating myself, but you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's that unfortunately there was a formula made and a formula kept. And sometimes the best thing to do is to deviate from the formula. And I hate to say that there was ever a writer's block whenever Dave's writing, because I feel like he's always got the creativity to sustain his his ability to keep putting out meaningful and impactful songs, but it's an example of just maybe we didn't get there with this. Maybe we didn't hit the nail on the head quite as well as we'd hoped. Um, not to take away from, you know, the, ta- the immense talent that exists in this band, but this is just a song that as you listen to it, you think, I don't know, is this going to stay in my head? Is this going to be with me? Am I going to remain interested in this song after I listen to it once? Perhaps not. Perhaps not. And no fault of their own. It's just the, the pressure of what they're experiencing to meet tour dates, to meet deadlines for albums, to meet you know track deadlines and commercial success. It's a, there's a, a weight on them, and I think uh, also you know, like these are still present. good. So these are good yeah. songs. It's just it's not meeting up to the quality that you're used to hearing from and the, the quality we, we will hear that we because, will hear to come. Yes, this feels like there's a. A minor step back right. in quality. It's still good. We're going from you know A to B plus, but we're still real. Right. There's still, and even through this, there's still things like times like these and have right. it all that are. I mean, have it all in all my life. We're part of this initial set of songs. Yeah. So and keep in mind, it's easy for us to say this knowing that this is still an uber successful band in their 25th year together. We can look back mm-hmm. and say this was an okay because we know what's great 
to come and what was great before. Yeah. But let's get to that last track off the standard edition, Come Back, to end the album. This is the longest song on the record at seven minutes and 50 seconds. But five minutes, minutes. But five minutes in the demo. Yes. Interestingly enough. So the difference, they are very different versions. I prefer this version from the album. What is your opinion? Um, I think the breakdown in the middle that make it, makes it seven minutes was a little confusing when I first heard it. I wasn't expecting it. See, what I think, what I, I really like that. I like that they did that. You do? I think okay. it's fun and it's, it, it feels like a closer. What's interesting about this song is they've only played it one time live and it was the original version. Hmm. The version from the demo. Okay. They did it bef- on the, they played it on the tour right before they, they went back and re-recorded it. Never played it again. This song feels like a closer. It feels like it could have been the end of a set or at least the end of a main set. Especially with if you're going to do that you know, guitar part and the, you're going to have that interlude in the middle yeah. and you have that you know, crushing head, just like crushing guitar to close and then you just close. Lights go to black. Go off stage. Come back. You hear Everlong. People lose their mind. At least I, that's what I was thinking. That would be a really cool way to end a I also love the, set. Yeah. Yes. I also love the vocal. I also love the, again, the vocal takes on this. I love the ooze. I love that, those harmonies, the double tracking on Dave's voice. This is one of the last times that you get that sort of softer, intimate version, which is not the version that you hear on the demos. Where, and I, I appreciate that they chose to go back to that style for this song. Right. I would say you, you, you summarized it pretty well. Interesting to know that they played the demo version live. I think that's intentional. I think any seven minute song is very difficult to play in its entirety. You always try to play to what the people know and what, what will keep people, you know, moving and, and, yeah. and shaking. And I think the demo does that a little bit better, even though that interlude is impressive, but that is what concludes the album proper. Um, before we move on, let me ask you, Andrew, um, just before we get into the bonus tracks and the understanding of the demos, uh, how on a scale of one to 10 do you rate album proper tracks one through 11? I would, I think I said it before. If the first three albums are straight A's, because I love this band, they're not getting lower than a B plus mm-hmm. or maybe a B. This is probably where that is. There's a lot of good songs on here. I think that what this album lacked, and it's still, these still wouldn't have been great. There's still a handful of songs on here that are good, but they could have chosen something better or they could have waited with a different track, with a different ordering, uh, which once we go through the B sides, I will cover my, my opinion on how this record should have laid out. You could have had a much different. Uh, you could have had them. It could have been taken a lot. I would like it a lot more. But I think because there is that drop in the middle, and it feels because the songs that are at that bottom end were of Halo, Lonely as You is good, but then Overdrive, Burn Away, it takes a while to get the energy back. Right. So it feels very much like you took that. You just took a bat to its knees right after times like these. Yep. And that's not necessarily what could, it could have sounded like. It could have sounded a lot more interesting where you have those waves in the 
you know, in there's nothing left to lose. There's enough songs on here where you could have had like a, an emotional wave like you did on that one, as opposed to this jarring, we're a hard rock band cut. We're a soft, you know, we're an easy listening band, which is how it feels. Yes. Especially in that middle. If I had to rate this on a scale one to 10, I'll, I'll go back through the albums we've already listened to. 1995 album gets an eight out of 10 for me. Color and shape gets a 10 out of 10. Nothing left to lose gets, I'd say a nine. I'd say it's pretty, it's pretty solid. It's underrated. Mm-hmm. This one gets like a seven. The reason why I don't give it any lower is because I've, we've listened to a lot of music and there's a lot of music I can tell you with a lot of certainty, in my opinion, I do not like, and I don't think is, is worthy of a higher rating, but this album, if, if this album were released within the last three years, and I specify the last three years, cause I feel like that's a period of time when singles and EPs have been the okay way to deliver music. You didn't have to put out a whole album. We have yeah. streaming and ways to get music in piecemeal and not in full-fledged yeah. albums as far as CDs go. You could have released one through four and stop right there. I think you could have put it out as maybe two different EPs where you cut some of the, some of the, the mess, threw in some of the B-sides. You, you could have had two you know, two five-track EPs separated out by like six months. I could have rode that for, yeah. but, you know, but that's that's the approach that was, was taken for a rock band like Foo Fighters and like a lot of other bands, mentioned Queens of the Stone Age is like this too. Right. You know, you record a set of stuff, it captures an era and that happens for all of their music. You couldn't, there are songs under the color and the shape that they couldn't possibly have done afterwards. You could the same thing with there's nothing left to lose. None of those songs fit before it. None of those songs fit after it. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to this. So, you know, for better or worse, this is, these are the songs. This is, these are the versions. This is the, the version of the record we get, but I, but let's go into those B sides. So maybe we can. Yeah. There's a way to a save. There's a way to save this record. Out. There's a way to possibly save this record, starting with track 12 on the bonus track list, Walking a Line. I think Walking a Line is cool. Um, It's definitely like a harder song. I I didn't find it any more interesting than the songs that they chose, though. Well, you know what it is? It's like... Unfortunately for me, when I listen to this album, I'm doing on purpose what I'm doing is making sure I listen to it sequentially. I'm making sure that I am listening to it as a full package, that I am understanding where the start and stop of the standard album is and what constitutes B-sides and how to listen to it beyond that. You know, that track six through 11 of the standard album leave a bad taste in your mouth. It makes it hard to how, appreciate. How does it, did you listen to it? So I, I did the same thing. I would yeah. stop one through 11 and then I collected all of the B-sides and just put that into a separate playlist and right. I would listen. Right. How did you listen to it? Like, did you go from 11? Would you go from come back and then into walking a line? Yeah, well, the way that it's listed, the way I listen to it, I listen to the deluxe edition of the album. And so it goes right into track 12, walking a line. How does, how does that transition go? It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> and that's what affects it. And I think, look, I, I have to step back from it because that is not the way the album is necessarily intended to be done. There was a mm-hmm. definite end. And I am saying on my own, no, that is not the definite end. You've given me opportunity to go to track 12, so I will go there. There's, but, I mean, like, if, if it's better, bonus... 
I have issues good, with bonus it's good, CDs. It's a good uh, like, first song for a bonus list. If you want to make a yeah. bonus EP, it's a great opener to a bonus EP. I'll put, I'll, I'll say that. That's true. My thought is when I, I think about th- this is just a separate thought is that I have some issue with you put out a record and then you put out a bonus, you put out like a deluxe version where you just throw those songs on the back end because they weren't, really? cause it doesn't make sense to me. Like, it's fine if you're the type of person who you're just going to throw it all in shuffle. It's, it doesn't really matter anyway. You just have more songs. But if you're listening to it in a sequential order and you get to that proper end, like here, you get to come back. And that is a closer. That is a yes. – like, I think you, you and I can agree. This is yes, of course. The hard closer track. That's the end of the record, hard stop. Sort of like, no, like New Way Home is a hard stop on The Color and the Shape. Yes. And then you just throw another song in there. It just, it's like, okay, like, oh, I guess I thought we were done, but here's a song that they didn't want to include on the record, but, you know, they're, they're putting it out now. Like, it just, I don't mind hearing the songs. I love hearing the songs. I just don't like hearing them if I'm going to sit down, like, on Spotify and listen through, and then I get to a song, and it doesn't make sense in the order that you've now put it. Right. And, you know, Unfortunately, it's all based on listening order and, and emotion of where you are in the song. But that's, that's my stance is that if this were in a separate EP and this was the beginning of that EP, I'd give it a thumbs up. That's the only thing. How would you feel about. if it was on the record? I think it should be on the if record. If this song was either additional. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, would it replace something or would it just be added? I think added, but obviously it's not going to be the last track. It yeah. could be somewhere in between six through nine, maybe like wedged right between Halo and Lonely Is You, perhaps. Perhaps that could make but, sense. Um, but that's but yeah, it definitely does not belong if it's on the standard list as the last song. It is not a last. It's not a concluding song. We're going to take a quick shift to the song "The One." Yes. So this was they did during the during the demo sessions. Got put on the Orange County soundtrack. They made a video for it. I think this is a weird song. <laughs> I think it's a really weird song. It also uh, does have a swear word in it uh, that they had to cover on MTV. Or, yeah, when they played it on MTV, they had to, like, find a way around that. Well, but yeah. It's a, the, weird, the... it's a weird video and a weird song. <laughs> the line, in case anyone's wondering, is, you're not the one, but you're the only one who can make me feel like this. You're not the one, but you're the only one who can make me feel like, shh. Exactly. It's a, I, I, it's an interesting song. It's just like I was surprised that that was a single when I, I, I hadn't heard it before going through B sides, or I'd maybe heard it like once. But then seeing that there was a, there was like a video for it. Yeah, let's talk about the video a little bit. So the video is strange. <laughs> we didn't talk about any of the videos for any of the, any of the, the other songs, but we, we, we briefly talked about uh, Learn to Fly's video. Yes, because that one deserves yeah. special mention. But this one, yeah, um, this is a weird one. It's based off of they're fame. in like, yeah, they're also like they're in like high school or college or something, and they're all taking different courses, right? Is that yeah. the gist? Dave Grohl is uh, learning how to be an actor. Nate Mandel is working on his mime craft. Taylor Hawkins is studying violin, which is ironic. Uh, he is not on the strings; he's on the skins. And Chris Shifflett is attempting ballet, uh, which is. You know, it's excellent. 
it's also mentioned on the um, single cover of the one where you see the point shoe. And so that's kind of a funny reference there. Um, I mean, I, don't know. I think it's, it's just, it's another, it's a great example of, of how they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Sometimes I do love that. Uh, but it's definitely a song that has, um, it, it's like, it clearly like they, they were like, they were, they're like, oh, we're not going to put this on the record. They walk away. Somebody asks them, like, hey, do you have a song that we could put on this soundtrack? And they're like, yeah, sure. Here's Take this one. It, like, it definitely doesn't feel like it would fit on this record. It's from it, the same era. It's right. from the same recording sessions, but they, it just clearly doesn't feel like it doesn't it really. It doesn't really fit anywhere, if we're being honest. If you think ahead, I don't think it fits anywhere. It else. doesn't really. It's its, it's it, own period of time. It's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's... That's the one. The next one would be Win or Lose, which is a re-recording of the song Make a Bet, which we talked about on the last episode. Same song, new version, uh, has Chris Shiflett on guitar, new name, but lyrics are pretty much the same. Yeah, it's not a lot to say. It, it's, it's too similar for me to really it, yeah, say it's, anything it's about it. It's the same song. Yeah. It's not bad. Just It's just different. Not, it's just, yeah. And I, and I don't think it really, it didn't fit on the last record. I don't think it really fits on this record either. No, no, because it was technically part of the last record. So I can't think of it as part of this record. Yeah. You know, uh, the next one. So we've got one more uh, and that is normal. This yeah. is a B side. This ended up getting released as a B side for times like these. I love this song. I think this song is enough to re- put it in the album. Yes, mm. I do. I think this is a really cool song. I love the chorus. I love these lyrics are so good. This is, this is an example of a song that maybe it is a little more similar to There's Nothing Left to Lose, but there's a slightly more heaviness that fits with One, one by One, and I think it could, it could help like smooth some of those edges. I, it's interesting. I was I was exploring um, just general commentary on the song. A lot of people like you consider this underrated. A lot of yeah. people think that this, you know, coming from you know the the one by one sessions, I guess we could say, um, did not get the credit it maybe should have. But I almost want to ask you though, why maybe it didn't? Why if if so many fans rally around the song, why didn't it get the recognition? That's a really good question. Um, I'm wondering the same thing. I mean, it ends up, they liked it enough to release it as a B-side to times like these, but not enough, I guess. I guess they liked Burn Away and Halo more, which I, I find interesting. I would love to talk to Dave and the band about this. This the if we were going to have like one question for each or two questions for each record, this would be one we'd each get one. I, I would hope, you know, so we'll, what we, I'm guessing 20 questions, 20, 21 questions. What, what's the game? 21 questions. Uh, yeah. 21 questions. Okay. So we get 21 questions. We're going to play yes. 21 questions with Foo Fighters. Uh, we'll maybe we'll split it like two songs for each album. And then a bonus. And then a bonus question, which we'll figure out at that, you know, We'll figure that out later, but I think the two questions are why did you sequence the record this way? It doesn't make any sense. Yep. And why did you not put normal on the record? I think if I had to step inside the mind, his answer would be we sequenced that that way because that's what felt good and it wasn't on the record because we just didn't feel like putting on the record. Like that's honestly Dave's MO. I was watching Unrelated 
but still relevant. I was watching a Howard Stern interview with Dave and Taylor Hawkins. Feels like research, but yeah, go it's, for it. It's 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 research a it's little research. bit. It's relevant. You said it wasn't relevant. relevant, and I think it should. I think you should. You shouldn't cut yourself short. You're watching videos of of you know Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins on on doing an interview. It's research. Irrelevant in the sense that they were doing an acoustic uh, version of My Hero. Oh, okay, gotcha. That, in that way. But Howard Stern asked the age-old question that every Foo Fighters fan or person who understands Foo Fighters asks, was this about Kurt Cobain? Is uh, everything you ever write about Kurt Cobain? But in his response, was, the question is not what I'm trying to get at. It's the answer. The answer Dave gave was simply, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. That's great. Maybe. It's a good answer. Dave, a great answer. Either Dave simply does not have any motivations that other people may assume. Or he is so intelligent and thought so deeply about the reasons why that he has buried it under a simple answer like, I don't know. So when you maybe. ask about normal and why it's on the record, he would just say, I don't know. But maybe, maybe. Beneath, that, beneath that, there could be this, this, little, this little sense of like, well, you know, it could be a business decision. Maybe 11-track record had to reach a certain limit in order for the masters to be able to put it at this rate and, and you know, ship these many copies. Or maybe it's more of a, just a musical answer of, well, it didn't fit in this cadence with these songs, but I feel maybe like... They took the, maybe they took some of those lyrics or moved them around. They do... The, the one by one is mentioned in this, is the second line on, right. uh, on this song. It is also mentioned again in All My Life. Yes, Maybe they didn't want to have uh, one by one be a theme. I don't know. Right? Even been though a, they did. That right? could have been a cool, record. But. I'm just saying that could have been a cool duality of you have one by one, it's a first track. I don't know if Normal is a last track, but another I don't one think it's by a one la- reference. So I, I, think it's a, I think it's a penultimate track, personally. Okay, okay. But yeah, I, I think this was a really great song that should have been on the record and wasn't. Now, those are, those are the B-sides. Uh, on online for the Foo Files, they also have a bunch of live tracks, you know, live songs from the era, all the covers that we didn't talk about, including a cover of a of a live cover of a B fifty two song. But yeah, that's you know they have other stuff online from the era. But those are the songs that's released. But what now, if? <laughs> but what if? What if we changed it up? Uh, I have two versions of this. I have a version that is a 12-track version and a 10-track version. Which one would you rather hear? Well, I want to hear both, but let's start with the 10-track. All right. I'm going to – so 10 tracks, um, I'm going to express this as – I know it's 2002. It's, you know, it's CD era, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to express this as A-side and B-side for you. Go ahead. Um, so we start off with the only song that makes sense all my life. Yep. The next song is Have It All. Okay. So not low. So not low. Okay. The next one is Overdrive. So you huh. still have a, so you, you take a step. You're taking incremental steps off of intensity. I see what you're doing. You then dip for Tired of You. Interesting. Okay. Okay. You come off of Tired of You. No drums. You've got the Brian May guitars. Times like these. To end side A. To end side A. Wow. Now, I've listened to this record so many times. The only, and this was a very difficult track thing to do, by the way. I've listened to this for the last, you know, 10 years or so. So 
This is a, like a 15, actually. This is, this is a very difficult thing, task to do of changing the order of this. But we go to, B, we go to side B, disenchanted lullaby, which Start the record is exactly the same, right? But I think that's a very interesting start to it so you start off in a kind of a softer way mm-hmm. then you do low this is now track six this is, is now track seven seven so low is track seven so you have low a little bit further down um but also low is not starting the right re- you're not starting off intense you start off a little bit chiller but there's enough inten- there's enough like energy to those guitar riffs in the chorus and at the end of disenchanted lullaby that i feel you could pull up into the intensity of low. Okay. Then lonely is you. Hmm. Saying essentially where it is. Saying essentially where it is, followed by normal. Okay, normal's on the record. Normal makes the record, followed by comeback. As the last song. So comeback stays comeback as the last song. Comeback stays as the last song. Okay. All my life stays as the first song. Those two made sense. It's just everything in the middle. I will say this before you go to your 12-track rearrangement. I like your 10-track rearrangement. My only suggestion would be to take times like these and make it start side B. That's it. I, I, would, like f- I would flip those. What do you have? You have times like these, then Disenchanted Lullaby? I, uh, I, w- yes. I, would, I would essentially flip it. That's what I would do. That's an interesting idea. Otherwise, so, I love it. So my 12-track my version is slightly different uh so disenchanted lullaby goes right is the end of side a right after times like these so times like these is so everything stays the same one two so you've got all my life have it all overdrive tired of you times like these disenchanted lullaby and side a okay side b that changes this is the version where i keep every song from the record i just change the order and add normal okay so side b starts with low I like then that. burn away, mm-hmm. then halo, then lonely is you, then normal, come back. So really, the only thing that's changing here is low is now the top of side A, disenchanted lullaby at the bottom, burn away and halo are ki- are kind of right after low. You know, you know, an order that I think takes a better step, you know, step towards you know, kind of like kind of stays kind of like eh, in the middle lonely is you is a little bit more interesting but at the same time if you put all i also realized if you put all those songs together you're you might risk the same problem side a sounds fine side a sounds better yes but you still get to tracks seven eight nine you have the same problem that you had before yeah the longer this gets the harder it gets to fill this also is 55 minutes this album so it's already a long record you throw another song in there it's an hour right so right. i recognize that that is also part of it right the the last ones were in the 40s i think the conclusion i'm coming to listening to your rearrangement less is more yeah less is more but we, I, could, I, we could do without a lot of these songs and still have a very complete record yeah and also add in normal and i think very few fans would disagree yeah, I can see walking the line being in here, but I think you need to, you'd have to remove something else. And I don't know what that would be without it sounding like a very different record. Yeah, it can't be longer than 12 songs. That, that is the maximum in my mind, even for any rearrangement. And yeah. when we get to In Your Honor, there's gonna be a lot to talk about in rearranging that because I'm gonna want to break it down to one album, 
one I'm, desk. I'm very excited about that. And I want, and that's going to be a, a big topic of discussion when yeah, we get to that. That's, that's also going to be, a, we're going to have a lot to talk about uh, for the In Your Honor episode coming up next. It's two discs. There's an EP they put out that has other songs on it. There's B-sides that aren't even on that. So there's a lot of songs to cover. It I'm is, really excited about it. It is a behemoth. It was yeah. recorded over a span of... We're not, we're not going to get into it too deeply, but just to give you a, a setup, it is huge. It was recorded over a span of three months. It was, it was released three years after One by One. There was work, work put into this. They definitely... This was the testing ground. One by One is a testing ground for what's possible and then just kicked it up. And that's, I'm really excited about this. But seeing as here we are, we've just completed number four. I think we both agree that our track, that our ordering of the, of the albums stays the same with one by one at the bottom now. And just to clarify, for those who have not heard previous episodes, our listing is as follows. Number one, Color and the Shape. Number two, 1995 Foo Fighters. Number three, There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Number four, one by one. And next episode, we will be covering In Your Honor. And uh, yeah. The double LP, the second in the early 2000s discography uh, trilogy. Mm -hmm. We've already covered the 90s trilogy. We're now in the aughts trilogy, the 2000s trilogy. Um, So just uh, to give some shout outs to where you can listen to us. You have already found this episode, but you can also listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. Just search Music Unsubscribe. That is our parent channel for all of our content. But this has been Walking After Foo. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also at Music Unsubscribe for the continuation of our content. We are going through the whole discography, people. We're going through every album. All up until Medicine at Midnight, releasing February 5th, 2021, where uh, myself, Andrew, and Marissa, our third host, co-host, will be reviewing the album live. We'll be listening to it together when it drops, completely on-the-spot opinion as opposed to our uh, more researched, uh, educated opinions. In-depth opinions, yeah. uh, In the previous episode. So thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Peter. And my name is Andrew. We appreciate you listening and look forward to In Your Honor, the 2005 record coming up after this episode.